Hello, celestial citizens. I'm Britt Duffy Adkins, and welcome to Continuum. The universe is expanding, and so is the space industry. With all the new developments, announcements, and launches, it can be a lot to keep up with. So we're here to help. Continuum is a news outlet that's making space news relevant for the next generation and boldly challenging the status quo. Whether it's new discoveries and developments in technology or how what we're doing in space affects us here on Earth, we'll cover it all. You can find our stories on our website, continuum-hq.com and in our newsletter, which comes out every other week. Not only does our newsletter include links to our original features, but it also contains a rundown of some of the top headlines from the week, as well as recommended space reads from around the web. You can find links to our website and how to subscribe to our newsletter in the episode description. Whether you're a space enthusiast or just starting to look up to the stars, we'll take the highlights from the week and share them for you here. We are the outlet providing space news for everyone. So without further ado, here's Continuum. And today we are joined by none other than AJ Link. AJ has been a guest on Celestial Citizen Podcast in season two. I definitely suggest that you give a listen to our conversation titled Disability Rights in Space. AJ is the Director of Communications for Mission Astro Access and also works as a Research Director for the Just Add Astra Project. And I would love to give a shout out to Black and Astro. I am the Space Law and Policy Chair for Black and Astro Great Group and kind of breaking news, but not entirely. We are now Astro Access with no mission. Ah, okay, great. Slimming down. Yeah, slimming down for 2023. Also, I should say to people listening, this is a new format for Continuum. We are going to be having co-hosts rotating in for this podcast episode, which is going to come out every other week. Also, this is a subscriber-only podcast. So if you are a subscriber to Continuum, you will get access to myself and whoever is joining as the co-host talking about space news for the week. Let us know what you think and what we should talk about in the comments. You can DM us, all those good things. But for today, we're really just a couple of kids talking about space. So important to stay a kid, right? To have wonder and amazement. That's kind of why I love space. And also, I'm super excited to be a subscriber to Continuum so I can actually go back and listen to myself. So I'm amped about that. (laughs) Pitching the subscription. (laughs) Amazing. Yes, a good plug for subscription. Um, I guess we can just dive right in here. I think the theme for today is sort of big international plans and moves on the space stage. The first big thing that happened and sort of what uh, took over mainstream media a bit was the UK air accident. So basically, for those who are unaware, it was essentially going to be a historic mission launched from Cornwall. They were excited to be one of the first rocket launches possible from Britain, and also to be one of the first countries to fire satellites into space from European soil. So there's a little bit of a space race happening in the UK and Europe. And initially, people thought it was a success. The rocket went up, seemed to be performing normally. And then somewhere around, call it 90 minutes after launch, 
there was a technical failure reported. And it looks like the rocket was slowed down by a possible fairing separation fault. So that was really disappointing, of course. What are your thoughts on this, AJ? What do you think that this means for Virgin Orbit? What do you think that this means for Spaceport Cornwall and for UK's space objectives more broadly? My first reaction when I read about it was, this is a huge reminder that space is hard. We've kind of gotten accustomed to space recently, at least in the general public consciousness. But space is a really hard thing. And just for the folks who who haven't read up on it, this wasn't kind of a vertical launch. This was a launch from a was it a 747, 757? Yeah, Boeing 747. So it was a plane flying really high and then a rocket taking off from a plane, which again is just really difficult. And after you know that kind of quick thought, I also thought, man, Virgin can't catch a break, right? SpaceX mm-hmm. seems to have a lot more successes than failures. Blue Origin, maybe not as in the news as SpaceX, but generally seems to have more successes than failures. But, you know, it generally seems like when Virgin Orbit or Virgin Galactic is in the news, it's not a success. If you're still kind of doing the horse race, the, the you know, the billionaire space race, you'd have to say Virgin is not <laughs> in the lead. You know, I think that was reflected as well in the share price. It says shares falling by a fifth in early trading on the NASDAQ stock exchange. You know, I feel bad for the people of Cornwall because they had a whole festival out there in anticipation of this. I mean, can you imagine? You've got all these people out there celebrating. I think Virgin, for better or worse, they do a really good job of hyping people up about space. And then to just kind of like have this failure is just so disappointing to say nothing also of the people that had their payload on this mission This article I'm reading here mentioned SpaceForge, a Cardiff company, and they were hoping to put the first Welsh-built satellite into orbit. So I think that this had a lot of ripple effects. I guess for me, I'm also really excited that they're excited and that they had the crowd and enough people cared. And we can obviously talk about the financial implications for having to rebuild satellites and rebuild rockets and redo an entire flight plan and mission. But as Mm -hmm. someone whose partial job is to get people amped about space, or at least to care about space, it was kind of cool. It's a bit bittersweet, right? Because it's nice to see so many people being interested and engaged. But then, of course, you only want them to kind of be successful, especially in the beginning, to kind of keep that momentum going. Now, of course, the UK incident was not the only thing to occur in this past week on January 10th. Djibouti signed a $1 billion deal with Hong Kong to build a spaceport in the Horn of Africa. So this was pretty interesting. It was a deal signed with the Hong Kong Aerospace Technology Group. And also another kind of key headline related to Djibouti was that they also signed the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And that makes the total number of signatories on that document to 92. AJ, you've got a space law background. What do you think, you know, are kind of the key takeaways? Well, I'm not a a professional when it comes to global geopolitics or real politics, but I would say generally nuclear weapons are bad. It's better if less people are striving to have nuclear weapons. 
from the spaceport side, it's really interesting. You have Djibouti, which is close to the equator. It's not on the equator, but close to the equator, making this deal. But I wonder what that means for the Djibouti space program and what they're going to be doing. And will they eventually develop a program where they can launch from this spaceport instead of this Hong Kong company? Or do they not have those ambitions? I think about the Chinese and Russians are trying to do with their launches and The story that we read talked about how the Chinese ambassador to Djibouti was there to celebrate, coronate this agreement. But is Djibouti going to let China launch or is it just the Hong Kong company? I have a lot of questions about it. And I think Mm -hmm. it's really interesting how similar to the UK trying to move away from French Guyana. And I don't know the connections with Brexit and ESA, (laughs) whether or not that has something to do with it. I'm sure it does. But these space powers going to equatorial countries or countries near the equator, you know, having a weird kind of space imperialism, space colonization where they have money and power and they offer it to these countries in order to take up their land and resources to launch things to space. You know, one of the things that's interesting, another one of the headlines for this week was Sweden. They have now opened their orbital launch site and they are looking for users for it. And this is the S-Range Space Center in Sweden. And there was also a ceremony. People apparently love a good space ceremony. But there was a ceremony that was attended by the king and the prime minister of Sweden. And basically, it seems like this was in a bit of a space race with Cornwall to an extent, because basically they are looking for this to be one of the key launch sites for Europe. It's interesting to see now that Europe is starting to develop their own launch sites because obviously historically they've relied upon French Guiana, that sort of imperialist presence. I mean, obviously nobody wants to see a situation with Djibouti where they are really not the primary beneficiary of their own land and resources. I do hope that they are able to find an agreement, a situation that works best for them. I think in the case of Sweden, I'll be curious to see what sort of users are attracted to that facility. But again, you know, I'm just kind of surprised by this sort of spaceport space race that seems to be happening in the UK and Europe. And then one of the things that we talked about before we actually hopped on this recording was a lot of these articles, a lot of these announcements all reference security and defense as being sort of like a primary objective of why they're doing what they're doing. Are we just at that point now in the space industry where everybody is just looking to bunker down and beef up their defenses? Kind of sad to think about. When you say, is that where we're at? My immediately thought is at least it's out in the open now (laughs) instead of, you know, (laughs) I mean, because it's always been about that, right? Realistically speaking, I think it's really interesting in terms of space law when you think about launching states and who's going to be registering all these launches, who's going to be taking international responsibility and international liability for these. Is it going to Mm -hmm. accelerate flag of convenience problem? So lots of cruise ships that leave out of ports in the U.S. have flags from countries that are not the U.S. And it's because it helps Mm -hmm. with laws and tax breaks and things like that. And so are these spaceports going to evolve into that? I don't really know the answers to these questions from someone who has a different vision 
of space than I guess most of the mainstream space industry. It's kind of frustrating that you're seeing all these siloed independent projects under the guise of security and protection instead of building a more egalitarian and collective vision for space. Readers of the newsletter will know that I have sort of a weird obsession with the Space Force and how musical they can be at times. But their latest website, which we talked about in the previous newsletter, if you go to it, I mean, it is, I guess, aggressive. And maybe that's not a surprise to people. It's surprising to me, as you said, that people are being so out in the open about it. And that a lot of the language and rhetoric around it is just so focused on, again, security, defense, force, all of these different words that do not really necessarily embody this future in space, I think a lot of us were hoping for. Kind of the first thoughts and ideas about space from a U.S. policy context was this idea of the ultimate high ground, which is, you know, obviously militaristic. I don't know if it has to be that way. I think we've built international tensions to a point where folks think it has to be that way. And it's just kind of sad. It's interesting how when the Space Force was first announced, there was kind of all that laughter and pushback, you know, making fun of it. But the actual infrastructure of what Space Force does had been around for quite a long time in the Air Force. It was just a rebranding and reorganizing within the military structure But I think something that got missed, at least here in the U.S., is that the U.S. Space Force isn't the only Space Force, and it's also not the only aerospace force. And I wish that there was a more hopeful vision of space instead of the only way to be safe and secure in space is to have some type of military protection. To me, that's really sad. And now a quick word from our gold sponsor, Multiverse Media. We are currently witnessing the birth of a robust, sustainable economy within cislunar space. What is cislunar space? Well, it's the part of space that ranges from low Earth orbit out to geostationary orbit and then beyond toward the moon's surface. This cislunar economy will involve a much more interconnected paradigm for space development. For a snapshot and user guide to the players and opportunities ahead, New Space Global, a multiverse media property, has produced a report titled Cislunar Market Opportunities. To get your copy, please go to cislunar.report and use coupon code CITIZEN10 for 10% off a single user license. Thank you again to Multiverse Media for sponsoring Celestial Citizen this year. Now, back to the show. You look at all these different news articles and op-eds and things like that. And even now, I'm about to bring up the fact that there were also two other big headlines this week, one of which was from China. China plans to launch more than 70 launches in 2023. China is moving. They're moving fast. They are launching quite a bit. They are developing a lot of new technologies. They have big plans for the moon. Of course, I think that completely alarms the U.S. I don't think that's any big secret there. As a result, I see that the U.S. is also trying to get the upper hand, if you will. And so this week, also U.S. and Japan signed a space collaboration agreement. 
at NASA headquarters. Now this is JAXA and NASA have collaborated in the past together, but still it does feel though like we are kind of drawing party lines here to so to speak on the global stage of who's aligned with China, who's aligned with the U.S. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about the celestial citizen for all mankind watch-alongs where you have two competing bases on the moon and everyone says it's peaceful, but magically there are guns and weapons and military and you know, magically someone gets shot in space and what does that mean? And I think something that is also behind all these headlines that we aren't really talking about is orbital debris and pollution and the environmental impacts. We didn't really talk about how Virgin Orbit doesn't really know where all their pieces are, which is a wild concept, right? They're saying they may have blown up or they may have burned up coming back down. I think one of the quotes was, but it's over the North Pole, so it's okay. It's like, is it? Yeah. <laughs> is it? I, I mean, I'm pretty fond of the North Pole. The, like, I don't, you the know. The polar bears are already losing a bunch of debris. Ice. Yeah. And so. Yeah. We've done enough to the polar bears. All these launches, eventually, we're going to have real issues. I know mm-hmm. space is massive, and it's really hard to, like, get people to understand how big space is. But eventually, if we keep sending up all these satellites, if we keep having all these launches, there's going to be a problem. And I think that's kind of really, really worrisome to me. You know, we've had more of a jaw on the show here twice, actually, talking about how we all need to be space environmentalists, even if that means potentially slowing down the cadence of launch a little bit to institute best practices. Personally, I would love to see just a more transparent way of rating launches before and after they happen, where you could actually be kind of like saying how sustainable that process was, whether it boils down to rocket fuel, the materials used, things like that. But then also kind of what the potential like deorbiting of the satellite timeline looks like, various things like that, that would factor into this. But I would love to see that where it's just like thinking in architecture, if we have a lead certified building, well, what if we had, you know, whatever fill in the dots, orbital debris ranking on some of these things to kind of show how sustainable it is. I don't know, totally thinking off the cuff here, but it would be cool to have something like that in the future. Even now with more eyes and more critiques, a lot of the space industry, to your point, is what can we do, not Mm -hmm. should we do it or how should we do it? It's kind of, can we do it? We do it this way and that's the end of it. Right now, it kind of feels like we're just running wild. We got a million things going on at once, which makes for a very interesting and exciting industry in some ways, but also concerning. So it's like, if we all could just take a moment and figure out what is the most essential use of resources that has the broadest kind of positive impact on the most amount of people, how does that maybe change the way that we think about the space industry and what we're doing? Like maybe people would pump the brakes on a couple missions or technologies and and maybe they'd focus more on things that might be more beneficial. I think the Djibouti and Hong Kong story, but also kind of the focus on US and Japan, the UK, Stories kind of revolve around the players that have already been there and who have mm, yeah. the money and the political mm-hmm. capital and power to kind of make those moves. And 
you know, you very rarely hear the positive space story about the emerging space countries that you may hear in there, but very rarely are they the ones making the, the cool and exciting news that gets international coverage. That's it. That's the reason why the geopolitical tensions happening in the new space race, whatever you want to call it, are concerning is because once again, if we enter into that sort of race between superpowers, who's getting left behind? We have all these different companies talking about how we want to open up space. But my concern is like, how are we actually going to do it though? And do it in a way where people have like ownership over their own processes, their own space agencies, their own land. I mean, it's going to be tricky, especially if we continue to kind of follow this path of like people just aligning with superpowers that get to dictate everything for everyone. You know, that's going to be challenging to put it mildly. (laughs) Yeah, I know we're venturing way off from the current news topic, but I think it's really important. And I'm sure you hear this all the time because you're a part of the space community. They talk about, you know, we'll make space accessible by dropping the price. What I hear implicitly when they say that is, really, you're going to drive down the price so much over the next 20 years that anyone who wants to participate can't participate. But how far ahead will you be by then? Yeah. And what resources will have been depleted at that point as well? You know, Or monopolized because they're talking about, you know, doing space yeah. resource mining. And, you know, first person right. there is uh, pretty much game over unless we magically become a sharing community. And, you know, I think the other thing is, is that I think the U.S. tends to take the mindset of like, we would take a step back if it weren't for China. Really, we have to because of the situation we find ourselves in. And it's kind of comical, right? You know, you think of kids being like, well, they started it, you know? (laughs) Wink, wink, Um, wink, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that is how the U.S. kind of supports what they consider their mandate in space. Um, We are running up on our time here a little bit, but I think that kind of covers the big international stories for the week. On Celestial Citizen Podcast, we have the lightning round. We're not going to do the lightning round. Okay, so there's been a lot of talk about chat GPT. It is like of much discussion right now. So my idea was I was like, I'm just going to throw in a really weird prompt. And I'm not going to tell people what it is. You can guess. I'll let you know if you guess right. But I just threw in a weird prompt for a question to kind of close out this podcast because we like to have fun here at Continuum. So here is the question that ChatGPT provided me. AJ, are you ready for this? I'm ready. If we were to discover a planet inhabited by sentient, intelligent unicorns, do you think they would be impressed by our technology or would they already have mastered intergalactic travel and consider us primitive? I don't know if they would have mastered intergalactic travel but you know as soon as we find out that their bodies are worth something (laughs) we start trying to kill all of them (laughs) they'll probably think we're primitive i'm so pessimistic about humanity but i'm sure someone would be like i bet you that unicorn horn is worth like a billion dollars sentient unicorn yeah oh my gosh it'd be like a new meaning to space unicorn right not just a startup yeah Um, i would i would hope that we are able to coexist peacefully. But even as I'm saying that, I'm thinking about how we treat animals here on Earth. Because animal animals are sentient, right? I guess depending on yeah. how you define that. And 
We yeah. do not care. No. <laughs> a lot of you us know, do not most, care. <laughs> the most depressing place for me to go is a zoo. And like, have you ever thought about that? I'm on the other side of the glass and I'm like, I know you know what like is going on here. Especially when I go hang around like the chimpanzees or the gorillas or things like that. I'm like, they know what's up. They are such intelligent creatures. And then it's like, I just feel sad about the fact that they're like locked up in a zoo. Yeah, I'm conflicted I know, about and I, zoos because sometimes it's I know, for good conservation, will, right? Or you're, you're saving I know. species that we killed. I totally concede that point, AJ. I agree. But then it's like the fact that like we need to, yeah, just what you said, we need to protect them like from us is like kind of messed up. And so anyway, I have some questions about these like intergalactic traveling unicorns. For one, the horn of the unicorn is going to make it very difficult for you to like outfit an appropriate spacesuit or helmet. I think that there's like a lot of features about unicorns that would make it challenging unless our perception of kind of like how these unicorns would get around is actually like very primitive and we just don't understand. Yeah, they probably um, have different physiology. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So again, if folks out there want to try to guess the prompt that I delivered to ChatGPT to get that little gem of a question, you can drop it in the comments. But I don't know. I'm just like having fun with it. I'm laughing because my partner who works in education had a professor that was playing around with it and testing it to see if students are using it. And so he's like, ask a space law question. And so I told him to ask about the moon treaty and the Artemis Accords and the tension between them. And they sent the response. And I was like, was it good? It was good in the way that you can tell that someone just like went to their Wikipedia page and copy and pasted, but didn't Mm -hmm. get to the second level of the question, which is obviously clear. Yeah. So like in the response that the chat GPT gave back, it didn't mention that the moon treaty has under 20 signatories. It didn't mention that the Artemis Accords have more than 20 signatories. It didn't mention that the Artemis Accords are the U.S. trying to dictate space policy in a roundabout way to avoid the international system at the U.N. and COPUS. And so I was like, I could tell, right? Maybe someone who didn't know the space law Mm -hmm. couldn't, but like I could tell. I think the next recording, we're going to play around with this a little bit more. I think it's a fun way to kind of close out. AJ, thank you so much for joining the show today. I really appreciate your thoughts. I'm excited to have you back again as a co-host. Thanks for your time, AJ. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. As always, really appreciate it. This episode of Celestial Citizen Podcast is in part sponsored by the Colorado School of Mines Space Resources Program. This first-of-its-kind interdisciplinary program offers certificate, Master of Science, and PhD degrees for professionals around the world interested in the emerging field of extraterrestrial resources. The program focuses on developing core knowledge and design practices for effective and responsible identification, extraction, and use of resources in the solar system to enhance space exploration and enable the new space economy. To learn more about the MINE Space Resources Program, educational opportunities, and research activities, check out its webpage at space.mines.edu. Thank you again to the Colorado School of Mines Space Resources Program for your sponsorship this year.
And as a reminder, if you want to check out our original features, head to our website, www.continuum-hq.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at continuum.hq and Twitter at continuum underscore HQ. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you can stay up to date on what's going on. Again, that will require you to be a subscriber. If you're listening, you probably already know that, but a subscriber to Continuum on Substack. And while you're there, you can leave us a comment. Let us know what you want us to chat about in future episodes. And of course, tune in two weeks from now to keep up to date with all the cool stuff happening up there in that big, beautiful cosmos we're all floating around in. Thank you for joining Continuum. One giant leap every other week.